Bibles, if you will, and open them to 1 John chapter 5. Edwin Cooper was famous all over America, although many people would not be able to identify who he was because no one knew him by his real name. Coming from a family of circus clowns, Cooper began performing before audiences when he was just nine years of age. After a stint with the Barnum and Bailey Circus, he became a fixture on television in the 1950s. Those of us who grew up in the 50s and 60s remember him by his TV name, his character, Bozo the Clown. In addition to entertaining both young and old, Edwin Cooper had a message for those whom he called his buddies and partners. Every week, he would say to those folks, get checked for cancer. Yet Edwin Cooper was so busy working as Bozo the Clown that he neglected to follow his own advice. By the time his cancer was discovered, it was too late for him to receive any kind of treatment. And Edwin Cooper, or Bozo, at just 41 years of age, died from a disease that he had warned others to watch out for. Friend, John comes to us in chapter 5 of his letter to warn us about sin. Sin is far more deadly than the most aggressive and fast-growing cancer. Sin kills. Sin destroys everything it touches. But John wants us to understand. He is communicating to us here in this fifth chapter in verses 16 through 18 that we don't have to be controlled by sin. We don't have to let it destroy us. The third certainty of which we are looking at five certainties that John speaks about related to the Christian life found in verses 13 through 21, the last verses of this uh, letter, this third certainty John wants us to understand is that we can have victory over sin. Now last Sunday we looked at the first two of these certainties, the first one found in verse 13, we know that we have eternal life. And in verses 14 and 15, 
John wants us to understand we know that God hears our prayers. And today, John addresses a third spiritual certainty. We know that we can have victory over sin. Here's what I want you to take away from the message and from this mini-series within this series through the letter of 1 John, and that is the Christian is confident in his faith because it is built, his faith is built on spiritual certainties. Um, I mentioned last week that the Christian faith is not a I hope so or I think so kind of faith. It is an I know so kind of faith. Well, let's look here in verses 16 through 18. Um, people often ask me, you know, why do you preach through books of the Bible? Rather than just going and hitting, you know, maybe some uh, one or two passages out of a book and then going to another one and, um, you know, maybe hitting some, you know, interesting topics or current issues and address that the Bible addresses. Why do you do that? Here is exactly the reason why I believe that God, when I graduated from seminary some 30-some years ago, led me to preach expositionally through entire books of the Bible, and that is because you come to subjects that are hard to deal with. And the easy thing to do would be to skip over these kinds of passages. But when you preach expositionally, systematically through a book, you come to verses like this and guess what? You can't skip over it because you, the congregation, are going to ask me, Pastor, why did you skip over those verses? Why didn't you address those? Why didn't you speak to us about what the Bible says about sin? Why did you just move on to the next verses? Well, I believe that the Lord has a message for us. It may be a hard message for us to grasp this morning, but I believe God's got a message for us in verses 16, 17, and 18 here of John chapter 5. Let's just read these verses together. He says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You know, one of the great tragedies of American life is the casual way that we approach sin. Friends, sin is no laughing matter. When we regard sin as God does, we find nothing humorous or amusing about it. God hates sin with a holy and righteous fury. And so should we. Because sin, all sin, 
is what calls Jesus Christ, God's son, to have to go to the cross and die in our place. When we find ourselves amused by sin, it is time for us to focus once again on the cross. The cross reminds us that we have failed to understand that the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. All sin is serious to God. Well, in these verses, John gets specific about prayer. Whereas verses 14 and 15 were about petitions, verses 16 through 18 are about intercession. The issue is when you see someone in sin, when you see someone committing sin. Now, I want you to notice, he says, when you see someone. This isn't uh, the fact that you hear someone else saying that someone is committing sin. This has nothing to do with rumor or gossip, which is one of the most deadly things to hit a church body. This is when you personally see someone committing sin. In the original text, some form of the word sin appears seven times in these three verses. And John makes two points in relation to sin. He talks about the Christian committing sin. Yes, Christians do sin. But then he talks about the Christian conquering sin. We see a twofold division of sin in verses 16 and 17. Sin that does not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. First, John speaks about the sin that does not lead to death. Look again in verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. And then he says, all wrongdoing in verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. So John exhorts the believer who sees his brother or sister committing a sin not leading to death to pray for them. He adds in verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. You know, too many people think too lightly of some sins. They rank sins feeling that some sins are not so bad, that some sins are more acceptable to God than other sins. They feel that some sins are small and others are big. Some sins are white, others are black. Some sins are more permissible, some are less permissible. Some are more acceptable, others are less acceptable. But look what Scripture says, all wrongdoing is sin. In other words, there is not a single act of unrighteousness that is not sin. You begin to feel a little uneasy. You begin to feel like your toes are getting stepped on. I know mine were this week. He says all unrighteousness is sin. No matter how small or permissible or acceptable we may think the act of unrighteousness is, it is still sin to God. 
And John says, if we persist in it, we are moving toward, listen, sin that leads to death. I'll speak more on that in a moment. The point is this. John says all unrighteousness is sin. Friend, every Christian should be concerned about his or her spiritual condition. And we should also be concerned about the spiritual condition of our brothers and sisters in Christ. What is the proper reaction towards a sinning brother or sister? There's a tendency on the part of some Christians to become very critical, to condemn those who sin. However, John says we should pray for them. We ought to think there but for the grace of God goes I. We are in no position to pass judgment on any other believer. You know why? We don't know the total situation. We don't know their story. We don't know their background or how far they were in sin before they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, it is totally unchristian to have a critical spirit, to have an attitude of condemnation towards those who commit sin. Can I just make a suggestion based upon what John says? If you feel like talking about another Christian, start doing it on your knees. That's what John is saying. John is saying when you see someone, when you see a brother or a sister in Christ committing sin, don't go spreading rumors about them. Don't go slandering them. Don't go gossiping about them. Take that person to the Lord in prayer. And he says, pray for them. Pray. God desires to forgive all sin. And God desires to forgive all of us who sin. Remember what Samuel said to the people of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. He said, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Friend, in the church, we need more people who will love other believers enough that they would pray for them and their spiritual condition. When someone goes through a spiritual downtime and they have a bad attitude or they're doing things that we know are not right, that go against the clear teaching of God's word, that's the time when we, as caring believers, ought to be lifting them up in prayer. Your prayers could be the very means of that brother or that sister regaining their spiritual health and vitality. John says, when you see a brother committing a sin, when you see a sister committing a sin, 
that does not lead to death, pray for them. But then he talks about, and this is the one that people struggle with. He talks about a sin that leads to death. After instructing his readers to pray for the brother or sister who sins, John now says, look in the latter part of verse 16, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, I want to help you here. That A should not be in front of the word sin for this reason. It is misleading. That is a bad translation of the original text. John is not talking about a specific act of sin necessarily. You get the impression when he says there is a sin, that there is a type of sin that, and only that type of sin that John is referring to. But what John is really saying, there is sin that leads to death. He's not talking about a specific act of sin as much as he's talking about a condition of the heart, an attitude or a spirit that leads towards death. But what is this sin that leads to death? There are four major views as to um, uh, what John meant when he says, when he talks about a sin that leads to death. The first view is some believe that it refers to some heinous sin like murder. But if that's the case, there are many murderers whom God forgave. King David, for instance. Another view is that he's talking about apostasy or turning away from the faith. The problem with this view is that genuine believers don't fall away. And John is addressing believers in this letter. A third view is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is the unpardonable sin because it's the ultimate rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only sin you can commit in this life that God cannot and will not forgive. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The fourth view is that it's an ongoing willful sin of any kind that leads to physical death as a result of God's discipline. Now, most interpreters believe that John is talking about that fourth view, that he's referring to ongoing willful sin that remains unconfessed and has brought disrepute and dishonor to the name of Christ. Such behavior has harmed the Lord's cause. And so long as the person remains alive, he or she is going to continue in that sin. As a result, their heart becomes hardened, their their very purpose for living is lost, and the desire to return to the Lord uh, to live for Him will never again be aroused in their heart. And so God... As our Heavenly Father looks down on that erring child and out of love takes him from this world. You might say he gives him a dishonorable discharge and takes him on to glory so that he cannot negatively affect God's witness 
in this world. Now, there are several examples in Scripture that warn about this truth. In the Old Testament, for instance, Moses, the great man of God, got mad and did not obey God completely. And what did God do? God took his life before he could enter the promised land. Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of Aaron, the priest, died because they deliberately disobeyed God. Uzzah touched the ark, and God took his life. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira lied to God about their offering, and they both died. In 1 Corinthians, we read about some believers who died because they acted um, uh, in a way that was unbecoming of the, at the Lord's Supper. Friend, here's what I would encourage you and suggest to you this morning. Do not ever flirt with sin. Do not presume upon the mercy of God. It is possible to get so far off track and persist in willful disobedience long enough that God finally says, that's it. That's it. Enough. He gives you a dishonorable discharge and he takes you from this life to the next. John says, do not pray for this person. Do not pray for this person. Now, I'll tell you, I struggle with that. <laughs> and I'm sure you do. But the Bible says, John says, through the, the Holy Spirit says to us through the Apostle John, when a person gets to that place in their life, don't pray. Because God has a plan, and he is going to take them on to glory. Next, John addresses the Christian who conquers sin in verse 18. Look what he says. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, this is a difficult verse as well. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he, referring to the Son of God, who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. Again, John is not saying that a Christian never commits sin, but rather that we are born of God. If we are born of God, we do not make a habit of sin. We do not constantly, continually, habitually sin. This is the difference the new birth experience makes in the life of the believer. Before a person is born into the family of God, the direction of his or her life is towards sin. They have no other choice. They have a sin nature that enables them, that forces them to sin. So they don't have any choice 
They sin because it is in their nature to sin. But then the person experiences the new birth. They are born again. They become a child of God. And the trend is reversed. He or she may sin occasionally. But they will not sin habitually. They will not continually sin against God. Because they have chosen to live in accordance with God's word and his will on their life. With our new nature, our spiritual nature, we can choose not to sin. We can refuse to be shackled by the bondage of sin. Well, how? Look what John says in the latter part of verse 18. He says, He who was born of God protects him. Now that reference is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus keeps us and gives us power over sin. He has us in his hands and he guards our life. In John chapter 10 verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, power over sin resides in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being in the hands of Jesus, the devil cannot harm us. John says, look, in the latter part of the verse, and the evil one does not touch him. Listen, the good news is Satan cannot get his hands on the child of God unless we let him. Jesus has freed us from the bondage of Satan, and we are no longer his slaves. But even so, some Christians live as if they are still enslaved to Satan when they really are not. When President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on September the 22nd, 1862, that proclamation went into effect on January the 1st, 1863. Every slave living in the Confederacy was legally free. January the 1st, 1863. But if you know your history, you know the war lasted another two years. And those slaves that did not get the message that they were legally free continued to live as if they were still slaves, even though legally they were free. Friend, Jesus Christ has set us free from the power of Satan. We are no longer slaves of the devil. The Holy Spirit is moving across this earth 
trying to get us to understand that there has been a proclamation, an emancipation has been made that sets us free from the power of sin and death. And many Christians, sadly, have not yet gotten that message. We are not enslaved to Satan any longer. We are free to live the life that God, God has called us to. There used to be a saying, the devil made me do it. I think Flip Wilson started that. The devil made me do it. Can I just tell you, if you are a lost person, you can truthfully say, the devil made me do it. However, if you are a child of God, you cannot truthfully say, the devil made me do it. The devil only is able to do in your life what you and I allow him to do. Friend, with Jesus in our life, we are able to overcome and conquer sin. When she was young, Queen Victoria, the future queen of England, was kept from knowing the fact that she was going to be queen one day because they worried that it would spoil her. When her teacher finally revealed to her the truth that she would one day be queen, young Victoria responded, then I will be good. Her life from that point was controlled by the truth that one day she was going to be Queen of England and she set a course that she would live even as a young girl as if she were already Queen and she would live good. Can I just say to you this morning, if you're a born-again child of God, you are a child of the king. And you and I, like Queen Victoria, should say, then I will live holy before my God and my Father. John says, there is a sin that leads to death. There is a sin that does not lead to death. To death. I don't know about you. I'm not, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm not clear completely as to what all that means, but I do know this. I don't want to take the chance with the Lord. Because I take God at His word. And John says, You don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to sin. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has us in his hands and he protects us. And with him in our life, we are free from Satan's hold and we can live righteously before him. Amen. Let's stand together.